Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 319 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am I'm doing great. I am, at this point, just returned from Florida, but that's okay. I'm, I'm sure I had a great time. <laughs> I was going to be like, how was it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure future me will tell you how great of a time I had. Um, today's episode is something you did, so why don't you tell us what it's all about? Sure. This is an interview I did at ALA Midwinter. This actually might be the first ALA Midwinter interview we've done. Since I think I got you're back. right. Um, mostly because the authors I interviewed, their books come out later. So um, this, however, is an interview I did with uh, Waya Tumor. She wrote the book She Would Be King, and it was a uh, Sarah Jessica Parker book club central pick for um, ALA. It is a uh, retelling of Liberia's founding. Um, There's a little bit of uh, magical realism a bit in it, although we talk a little bit about... um, she is a Liberian-American author, and she talks how she grew up sort of in a storytelling tradition where magical realism is not – like, she wouldn't call it that. That's just sort of – it just was always there. That's just like That literature. was just sort of how their stories work. And so we talk a bit about that. We talk um, about the book itself, and she also runs an organization called One More, M-O-R-E, like her last name, One More Book. Um, which creates books um, for kids with um, in low literacy countries, and so it gives them books that look like them, and you know have characters like them in them, mm-hmm. which I think is um, kind of a gap in in why there's low literacy. Because if you don't have books that are yeah. characters you recognize, so um, we talk a little bit about that as well. Awesome. So it's really, really interesting. And you're absolutely right. A lot of the authors, like we've talked about, their books are going to come out for like months and months and months. So then you're trying to scramble. Like one of <laughs> us is like, here's what I think we talked about. I don't remember. But this one, it's nice because like you said, the book's already out. I feel like we've had all of the Sir Jessica Parker authors on so far. Have. I yeah. think we have. Yeah. So um, I also, we have, Overdrive has also a online publication called Perspectives on Reading, and the newest edition will come out in a couple weeks, and I also have an, another interview with her that um, goes a bit more in-depth about growing up in that storytelling tradition and how the effect that had on her as both a reader and a writer. So um, you can look for that at PerspectivesOnReading.com in a couple of weeks. Yeah, if you've never seen that, we don't talk about it here very often because it's not really like a professional book nerds thing but overdrive this quarterly magazine we do it's it's a digital magazine so you can see all the stuff we've ever created for it and there's videos and interviews and q a's and all sorts of stuff with authors and publishers and uh bookstore owners all sorts of really cool stuff that i don't think a lot of people know about yet because it's very very new but if you're interested in the literary world it's a awesome thing to take a look at plus you can see some wonderful written stuff by jill and myself a little bit lesser to to lesser extent but it's not just overdrive stuff it's yeah all just sort of reading in general yeah it was created just as like a, a way to show people all the good stuff going on in the literary world so that is cool uh if people want to get a hold of us you can find us at professionalbooknerds.com you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com you can find us at probooknerds on twitter and instagram uh today is monday this is going to be the last day of our Gretchen Rubin giveaway. So if you aren't following us on Instagram, be sure to do that today right away and take a look at our latest post about that um, for a chance to win her new book, a signed copy of it. So 
Um, anything else you think people should know about? I think that's it. Okay, awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this wonderful interview that Jill did at the American Library Association on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, this is Jill, and with me I have Wea Two More, author and founder of One More Book, a nonprofit organization that encourages reading among children of countries with low literacy rates. Her book, She Would Be King, was a Sarah Jessica Parker book club pick uh, for Book Club Central. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to She Would Be King? Yes, of course. So She Would Be King explores the history of Liberia through three characters with supernatural abilities. There is uh, Bessa, she is indigenous to the area that is later called Liberia, and she's immortal. And June Day, he's a slave on a Virginia plantation, and during his first encounter with an overseer, he realizes that his skin is impervious to bullets and blades, and he escapes the plantation and ends up in Liberia. And then Norman Arrogant, he's the son of a British scholar in Jamaican Maroon, and he can make himself invisible. So he also ends up in Liberia. He sneaks on a ship, and the three of them find each other there, and they fight the remaining slave traders and try to make sense of the new republic that's forming around them. Um, as you said, there's these three main characters, and it sort of allowed you to explore Liberia's history from these three different perspectives. How did you choose those perspectives specifically to tell that story? Yeah, well, Liberia's history is vast and complex, but the, the reason the history is complex is because of the identities that comprise the republic, and those identities are indigenous, 16 indigenous groups, uh, freed blacks and former slaves from America that emigrated over in the early 19th century, and freed blacks and former slaves from the Caribbean that emigrated, mainly Barbados, that emigrated in late uh, 19th century, early 20th century. So each of those three characters represents one of those groups. Okay. What was the research process like for, because I imagine this isn't really something where there's a lot of research you could yeah. use. Yeah, for sure. So there are, you're right, there's so limited material um, on Liberia and Liberian history by Liberians, which was something that was very important to me. Um, so I spoke to historians every time. I go to Liberia three or four times a year, and I spoke to the oldest Liberians I know, my grandmother being one of them. She's 93. And I was asking her questions about her childhood in Liberia because that was the closest that I could get to that period. Also with regards to the emigration of blacks who were in America, there is actually a lot of material that exists on that. The American Colonization Society, which was formed in the early 19th century, late 18th century or so, through the Freedmen's Bureau, even like the American Congress, there is a lot of information and documents um, available about the families who went back during that time. So I sorted those out and was actually able to find a personal connection. My third great-grandfather, June Moore, he was a slave in South Carolina for a while. He was free before the Civil War, and he emigrated in 1871 with uh, with 160 some odd people from their town in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So, was able to dig up documents about his emigration and his life and the lives of members of his family. And last summer, I visited Rock Hill, South Carolina, and was able to meet the descendants of those of my family members who chose to stay instead of going to Liberia. So, as I said, Liberia has such a vast and complex history. I really wanted to tell this story because it just wasn't anything that I read 
in, in history books, right. even though it's so closely right. linked to American history. Yeah. yeah. No, it's funny. Actually, I, uh, I read an interview um, talking about also sort of the view that Westerners have about Liberia's history and how they have this very sort of narrow view mm-hmm. of um, how Liberia became Liberia and as you say it's this really rich history with all of these different uh, groups and demographics so how important was it really for you to sort of help um, Westerners understand and see that history yeah I mean I think that it's more um, as opposed to like drilling in anyone's head that they should know History. I look at Liberian history as very much a part of American history. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, post-settlement, because obviously those 16 groups existed before Liberia had that name. But post-settlement, Liberian history is American history, and it's so closely linked to explorations of black identity from early 19th century to Reconstruction. But those are things that are missing from our history books. And I think for so long, because we are used to just getting a, a narrow definition of the players in American history, that's why it's so shocking, these conversations about diversity, etc. It's so shocking, um, and I think if we really had an idea of how, how diverse America has always been, how diverse American history has always been, then, it, then it, won't, it wouldn't be so jarring when you get an influx of people from different places right. or people choose to leave. I think uh, America tends to be transient in many ways, and, and that adds to its beauty. For sure. As you mentioned in um, your introduction to it, there's a lot of sort of magical realism and supernatural powers involved. Um, what made you incorporate that into the story? Yeah, so... I love this question because it's an opportunity <laughs> to to talk about my my cultural heritage. Right. So my mother, I told you my father, my paternal side, they're from, uh, they emigrated to Liberia in the 1870s. But my mother's side, they're indigenous to Liberia. My mom's by, And she, her, every time they told me a story, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, um, anyone, any matriarch in my family, because they're the ones who typically told stories, uh, it always included someone flying or shape-shifting or disappearing or casting a spell. That was just very much a part of my understanding of the infrastructure of story. So it's obviously it's a little different here in that when we moved here, I would, it would, I'd have to go to Disney and these other sources to, to find similar storytelling methods, but I think from a cultural perspective, it's, it's just very much how I understand story. Um, and interestingly enough, when I visited Liberia and, and did a reading there at the beginning of November, we didn't talk about the, the magic, magic or speculative fiction aspects of the book at all. Um, we were having conversations about love and betrayal and the, the very human and universal themes that are present in the book. Um, and so I, I think that speculative fiction in an African diaspora context or in a black context, I think that's something that is um, very much part of our spiritual identity and it manifests in our storytelling. And this book is just one of many iterations of that. Right, so yeah. it's just sort of part of the culture Absolutely, I think so. So that makes sense why they wouldn't really talk about it because yeah, that's yeah. just how the stories are. Yeah, for sure. And then also, like I think, because it was suppressed for so long, 
Um, I mean, you, you look at groups who came over during slavery and it was seen as lacking decency, lacking civility. So they were told, well, why are you telling stories about reincarnated people and that's voodoo? And it was just sort of cast as being demonic and, and inhuman. So they were, they were criminalized for, for speaking their languages, telling their stories. And, and so it's, it's been so wonderful to see some of these old forms manifesting because you're reading now that speculative fiction, especially by um, black and diasporic African writers and African writers, is more and more popular now. And it's, it's really brilliant and beautiful to see that recognition of our cultural heritage. Right, no, now that I think about it, that that is a very up-and-coming uh, genre and mm-hmm. types of books. And mm-hmm. so I think now that gives me a greater appreciation for what they're doing with those books, mm-hmm. right? Because here in America, we do have a very different view of, you know, having that element of supernatural or magic or whatever in the book. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really good to hear mm-hmm. that there's an opportunity for writers yeah. to sort of share that with a wider audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and, and then I also hesitate to say, like, return to it because it's never gone anywhere. Right. Um, it's always, I think, been a part of, a, a part of um, storytelling, I think, across age groups, too, because you look at Virginia Hamilton with children's books, mm-hmm. like the people who fly and people, people look at books like that. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's such a great spec fic children's book right. writer but I, I I like to believe that she was just writing from a place that felt the most organic to her um, and even you know people like Toni Morrison obviously the more obvious ones that incorporate speculative fiction and magical realism into yeah. their work um, not as spectacle but just as the just natural flow of story yeah. yeah so what has the reaction been then um, to that element of the book from like off like just in general yeah I mean I think that there is there's initially it was a hard sell because um, my agent was getting told that well is this is there a way we can make it YA you know just because obviously that yep. genre is known um, to be to embrace I would say to be embraced by YA readers and so uh, so we said no it's not <laughs> right it's not YA, no, it's not YA. <laughs> um, and and yeah, and I think initially it was difficult to, to place because, and we were being told, you know, well, she's, I'm a black immigrant. You know, I moved here when I was five, so do I have the immigrant story? And, and, and sort of trying to um, find a place for my voice that had comps, like successful comps. Right, like, right. Like, what, what could you write that's been like Successful. a successfully proven model? This was back in 2015, but now you see with the popularity of Black Panther being the most obvious. Um, the most obvious engine as we said before there are many people who are interested in speculative fiction from from African black diasporic writers right? and so I think this year the fact that it came out this year certainly uh, it was an advantage because if it would have come out any year before then if we would have had the same oh well what is this and and there's still some of that now people wanting it to read like a like strictly literary fiction form, um, and and not too much of fantasy, and thinking that it's a bit wonky. And then I also, in the way that uh, in the, the culturally authentic way, going back to that, my inheritance is in the way that I was used to hearing stories told. It was all over the place. You get different characters, and then it comes together in a way, and it was always told as if 
this is something that happened during a time, but it was never beginning, middle, ending per se. It was like, here's a snapshot of this place or of this person's life with the expectation that things continue. And so I think that if there's a bit of adjustment uh, here uh, to that, it, it's, it's the form of storytelling, it's the, the marriage of speculative fiction with historical fiction, with this place that is very foreign and isn't uh, normally featured in literary fiction in the U.S. Um, because there are Liberian writers who live in Liberia and, right, and right elsewhere. Um, and so, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's been... I'm, I feel blessed and really lucky for the response that it's had. Mm-hmm. Um, but that isn't without the question mark of... What exactly is this? <laughs> Which is fine. That's works, fine. Yeah. And of course, it was, as I said, a Sarah Jessica Parker Book Club Central yes. pick. Like, yeah. what was that like? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, come on. My entire 20s. I mean, I'm, I'm early 30s, City. but my entire 20s. Like, my coming of age in New York was sex in the city. Right. My, my high school ideations of life in New York in spring Texas while I was, like, a little Southern girl. <laughs> was sex in the city my understanding of i mean sex in the city was like a form of religion religious thinking <laughs> and so it so yeah so when that happened it was just i was blown away i got the email and thought to myself what like <laughs> what is this yeah and so yeah i mean felt incredibly lucky and then she she posted it on her instagram and i remember um i commented and she wrote back and i just was like i could I'm just, I'm going to take off of life. Right. For, like, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> yes. Like, just, I'm done. Yeah. So, so it's great. I mean, I'm a fan of her work ethic and I'm a fan of her artistry mm-hmm. and have obviously um, patronized her work for decades, like many young young women yeah. around the world. And so, so yeah, I feel incredibly lucky that, that she chose my book and that she read it. It was I the know. idea that she sat somewhere and read my work after I had sat and watched her. All those years, it felt great. That's awesome. <laughs> so we are at a library conference, and I always like to ask, um, did you go to the library when you were little? I did, Did you have any good memories from... I did. So my mom's a teacher, and we spent, oh gosh, our formative years, developmental years, on Saturday mornings, we were in libraries. It was just, we... When my family initially immigrated here, we weren't middle class. We didn't, I wouldn't consider, we, my parents worked their way up. Everything that we got by the time we were in high school, it was like hard earned. And the first few years, first two or three years we were here, we kind of struggled. So my dad, he always spent money on books, but books that we can all, all consume, like encyclopedias. And when it came to storybooks and things that we wanted to read, we went to the library because my mom wasn't able to just buy right. us any old book at, at any point. And so that was wonderful. It was very much part of um, also how I got to know America um, because we would we would visit libraries. And I was always attracted, actually, to the nonfiction section, even though I'm a fiction writer. So attracted to nonfiction, attracted to the history of a place and geography and the states. And where is this place that we found right. ourselves? And so I'd be, you know, pining over maps and things like that. And so... Yeah, libraries are obviously very important to me, and we're also very important to my family and my family story here. So can you tell me a little bit more about your nonprofit, One More Book? Yeah, so One More Book, uh, we produce and distribute stories that feature children who are the most underrepresented in in stories. And so that focus um, that we've decided to hone in on is children from countries with low literacy rates, Liberia being one of them. 
Um, so we have 23 books for Liberia, Guinea, Haiti. Um, we have an Afro-Brazilian book uh, featuring a young Afro-Brazilian girl on and, and it's bilingual, it's in English and Portuguese. What we try to do is we try to partner with writers and illustrators who are from that country um, and they create books and we you know, package it and distribute it via Amazon and through our store uh, in Liberia. And we also open open centers to encourage reading and we opened our first store in Liberia in 2015. Um, so we package it and distribute it and then also in the U.S. it's distributed through Scholastic Book Clubs. Um, and yeah, so we've been around for gosh almost about it's about six or seven years and we've been uh, incorporated into a not we've been uh, operating rather as a nonprofit since 2015 um, and and that's that's just been wonderful all of our proceeds everything that we make goes back into programming goes back into creating new books and new spaces um, through our Liberia programs since we have a store as I said that we created there we have a partnership with the University of Liberia where we have we pay for housing for some of the students and they work at the store and create like a workshops for locals in the community um, and so it's just been incredibly rewarding to sort of to channel some of this energy and some of the resources that, that I've been blessed with through my personal journey into this engine and also been extremely rewarding to partner with these writers and illustrators who you know make pennies but are also committed to the mission and want to see something um, miraculous happen when you when a child opens up a book and sees something that's culturally relevant right. and, and authentic to their experience. It's really wonderful. Thank you. So at the end of all of our interviews, we have something we call the Nerd Nine, which is sort of like a lightning round. Okay. Don't put too much thought, I promise. Oh, God. What was the, I'm what, bad at these. <laughs> what was the last book you finished reading? Um, all About Love, Bell Hooks. Favorite place to read? Um, my bed. Book that made you fall in love with reading? Mm, Richard Wright, Black Boy. One place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Uh, Sydney, Australia. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Coffee or tea? Tea. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite food? Cassava leaf. What is that? It's a Liberian dish. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? Dinner? Yeah. I mean, Today? you can have drinks. No, just whatever. Just anyone? I mean, the, I, my genuine, what I'm genuinely feeling right now is my mom. That's a good she's answer. Just, she's just so wonderful and my best friend. Um, but I guess someone who I wouldn't normally like meet or have access to would be Oprah. Also a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, what would you like readers to take away from She Would Be King? Um, how much of America's identity and history we're oblivious to. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, 
why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.